Hello and welcome to episode four of the AppPod. Today I am joined by Katie Jones, who is the EMEA Commercial Director at Beeswax. Beeswax are a bidder as a service company, and that means they provide the technical infrastructure for buyers to operate within programmatic. Today, we're going to be talking about demand side platforms or what everybody refers to as DSPs. We're going to be covering where they come from, why do they exist, what do they actually do, and what is the future of them. So there is tons packed in today's episode, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, Katie, welcome to the Apod. How are you doing? I'm good, Wayne. Thank you. And thanks for having me here today. No, thank you for coming on. It should be a good topic to discuss. And for those who are... We've both, got our, we've both got our radio voices on already. I know. Why? I've just changed my <laughs> voice so much for the podcast. Um, you know, people have to hear good things, right? Indeed, they do. Especially in these times, right? <laughs> Um, and for those who don't know you, would you mind giving us a quick introduction to your career and what you do now? Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, I'm Katie Jones. Uh, at the um, now, I'm um, I work for um, a company called Beesworks. I'm our commercial director for Europe, Middle East, and and Africa. And um, Beesworks was recently acquired by Freewheel, who are part of the the Comcast um, Comcast Group. Um, prior to Beeswax, um, I worked over at Clear Channel, helping them to figure out programmatic out of home. And um, before that, I was part of the, the Pangea Alliance um, as they were setting up. And then um, before that, I spent a really long time um, over at Yahoo in various roles um, there across Europe and, um, and also in the US. Um, and my final, uh, well, Actually, maybe I said starting out there, I um, I joined Yahoo just at a really crucial point for the kind of the beginning of, of programmatic. Yahoo had, had just bought uh, the Right Media Exchange and Blue Lithium, so really the very first sort of pre-programmatic exchange-based buying sort of platform, and one of the very very first um, behavioural targeting ad networks. And um, so I was part of that that really exciting journey to. To, to, to take those two acquisitions and turn them into, into something at Yahoo. So I, that's why I stayed, uh, stayed eight, nine years there. Nice, that's awesome. And I think that's probably a good place to start the kind of conversation really is like back to the beginning. So like why were demand side platforms created? Like what were their original purpose? You're making me feel old, right? <laughs> that was not my intention. <laughs> if, we go, if we go back to let's let's start to think about sort of maybe 2010, because I think for me that's the year that that things changed. That's the year that um, Zaxis was founded. It's the year that most of the agencies between 2010 and 2011, so 10 years ago now, the agencies set up their agency trading desks, and, and you've probably got some good perspectives to share there as well. Originally, there's agency trading desks, and before there was programmatic buying, there was exchange-based buying. So in the early days of those agency trading desks, you'd have the, the, the team within the agency, the people we call traders and traffickers nowadays, um, would be logging into an exchange, to so the buy side of the exchange, and they would be able to see that. But then, obviously, there were lots and lots of different exchanges, 
And so they would have to gain skills at logging into lots of different platforms. And it was really hard to start to properly control frequency and measure performance and attribution between the different exchanges. And so there was a real need for um, a platform that, that a buyer could use to access multiple supply sources. And that's really um, the difference between sort of exchange-based buying and, and programmatic, um, as I see it anyway, is, is that, that move from everything being on one platform to different platforms talking to, you know, talking to each other, connected to each other. So, so that a buyer could log into a single platform and could then access all of the inventory, all of the different supply sources from that, from that one location. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a, big, a big change uh, back in the day. Yeah, and it's like, it's good to talk through the uh, technical reason why these things came to fruition, because some people, the cynics, read it as, oh, this has been created so the agencies or third parties can make more money. That was not the purpose of why any of this technical innovation happened or, or was adopted. It was a, and still is, a, a better way of handling advertising at scale. I mean, I think the, the thing I like to, I, I like to sort of draw the, the, the parallels with the most is, is booking travel, right? There's, a, there's an absolute time when you will go to an airline's website and you will book a flight specifically with that airline. But actually, if you want to be able to see everything that's available, you might want to use a, uh, an OTA, I believe we're supposed to call them, a, a, an aggregator, so a, a booking.com or an Expedia. Um, you get, or a kayak, you, you get really used to using a, the 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 platform that you like so you know i'm a i'm a kayak customer but my other half always uses swears by expedia so when you, you get used to using that platform and that's that's the easiest way and you, you know how it works you know which bits you want to put in you know where you want to put your flexibility in and so forth you get used to using that platform and that, and that happens in in every software that you're using you know you, you see it a lot in um i saw it a lot before my programmatic days in, in, in search, you know, you, you get used to using a, a particular platform. So it was really hard for the traders back in, you know, 10 years ago to be switching between platforms and to know how each of them worked and the specificity, specificities, can I say that, on um, of each of those platforms, you know, which, you know, which platform is the best to run these campaigns, how you, what you can adjust, what are the targeting parameters that are available, all of those different things were different by exchange. And that was such a nightmare for, for people to, to use. And so um, really, I think the, um, you know, there was this, this need to have one platform where you could set up your rules and you could set up your campaigns and it would give you access to, to, all, of the, to all of the supply that was out there. And I think that's really what the, the DSPs did for the, for the buy side in, the, in, the, you know, in those, in that, what's that a decade ago now <laughs> yeah i mean that's not even that long relative to you know other industries have gone gone through such significant change but we talk about it like it's since the dinosaurs which it obviously <laughs> isn't um i think one of the things we've seen through the last 10 years and we still see i think is rise of what you'd call specialist dsps so a dsp who has a singular focus so that might be um, mobile advertising, digital out of home, connected TV, a sole focus. And you have other DSPs who you term omni-channel. They're connecting to any supply 
have different tools in their platform to to manage all these different use cases. I always go go back and forth on the pros and cons of which ones to use and when. But you know, what what are your thoughts really on the use of a specialist DSP versus a kind of omni-channel DSP? Um, for me, I mean, I don't I don't want this to be like a. The, I'm sure that there are way better like history podcasts that people could listen to. But if we stick with that angle for a minute, I, I see this very much as a sort of um, uh, as an as a new medium new inventory type becomes available sometimes the existing dsps aren't ready to handle it it sounds utterly ridiculous now people will be laughing when they hear this i'm sure but when video first came out when you could suddenly first access video most dsps couldn't handle it they didn't know what to do they didn't have the right settings to be able to control the different um options that that come with uh, that come with video so you did have um, platforms like Tube Mogul coming up and being a, a video specialist DSP. Um, I think at, the, at, at that time as, as well, you know, some of the, the technical requirements weren't necessarily clear and DSPs were perhaps, you know, slow to, to adapt, you know, if the, the technical standards were for that sort of new, new in inverted commas, you know, sort of channel weren't very clear. I think the difference now is that programmatic is much more established, right? It's just a, a transaction method that most people are using for most of their of their digital activity. And so I think we've got much better at making sure the technical requirements are clear ahead of time. And so that the DSPs can adopt very quickly. I think if you look at the rate of adoption for mobile or, or better for audio um, or connected TV, um, you can start to see that it's much easier now to make those, you know, for those, for those mediums to become available. And actually the platforms tend to be working in tandem to, um, and in parallel to make sure that really as the supply becomes available, they are able to, to cope with it. So I think Nowadays, I think pretty much all DSPs can handle all of the main channels and inventory types you'd expect. I think there are some some formats that are still uh, quite um, tricky. You know, have have you know require quite heavy lifting in order to to support and and so it's it's not necessarily that. But I think now I think the the, the real reason that people would use multiple DSPs would be more likely to be in order to support you know and to gain access to walled garden supply you know supply that's that's owned by the company that owns the dsp um, and isn't available through other sources rather than i don't know i think it's probably a bit of a distraction to to, to think about needing a, a specialist dsp for mobile or for video you know if, if your dsp can't do mobile well you probably need a new dsp <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think what happened was you know pre-DSP days you had media plans lots of partners on the plan and they were picked because they could do something specific like a, a home-based takeover or run of sports targeting or something and that mindset kind of came into the DSP selection as well as people were picking DSPs for specific things whereas if you just take the concepts of the platform is the plan. 
that's where you don't have to keep changing the DSPs because of you know very unique use cases. You sort of double down on one and then you augment, as you say, where you can't reach certain audiences or inventory for wall gardens. And I, I think that's you know slowly become the the norm, but we definitely still see you know specialist DSPs popping up here and there. Yeah, I think it's and it's really interesting what you say because I think that it's very reflective then of of actually how agencies are, are structured. You know, with with most custom most advertisers still working with a you know an agency partner, it would be quite mm. normal for them to have a separate TV for separate TV a separate team for. Um, uh, yeah, for 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 audio, for radio, or for or for TV, and I think there's there's change that needs to happen there as well. Um, like you're saying, to stop thinking about a media plan being a silo set of line items, and start to think about well, how's the best way to reach the objectives of this campaign? Yeah, yeah, and then I mean, you must experience this a lot because you know, of the roles that you've had. But the DSP markets. You know, competitive. There's a number of players in it, some big, some small. And I think some people ha- have the expectation they're all similar. Um, and when that happens, you know, a differentiator comes down to price. Who's going to do this the cheapest for me? And you will get, you know, you'll win the kind of RFP. Um, but I think in the real world, that just simply isn't the case. We're not at a place where DSP market is commoditized, um, but certainly becoming harder t- to differentiate. What's your kind of perspective on that? How do DSPs differentiate broadly kind of in the market today? Well, I think uh, I, I could like uh, the, the list is could be endless. I think it probably makes uh, makes more sense for me to, to talk about a little bit about how we're different. Um, but I think, I mean, ultimately, you're right. If, if you, you know, if you're sitting next to someone on a plane, if that goes back and they say, you know, what do you do? And you say you work at a DSP. No, no one's going to know what that is, right? So, you know, at the very base, all DSPs are providing you with software that you can use to buy ads on the, I was going to say on the internet, but software that you can uh, use to buy ads in real time um, across, you know, across digital media. Um, it's probably a, a better because it's, it's no longer just <laughs> just the internet when we're just talking about all of these new uh, uh, new formats that that, uh, that have come into the space, um, but I think um, in terms of in terms of DSP differentiation, I think um, the I mean I'm, I'm I'm somewhat biased, but I think there 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 was a, a period of a of really a few years where there wasn't a lot of innovation happening, there wasn't a lot of of differentiation, and it had started to come down to to price. I think Beeswax has kind of shaken things up um, a lot in that regard. And um, there are probably kind of three core areas where we think about um, really providing something very, very different to the the normal things that that you might expect from uh, from your DSP. I think there's been a big trend um, towards advertisers wanting and advertisers and their representatives so anyone who's buying um those uh, those uh, you know ads programmatically um wants to have um firstly more transparency into what's going on um in the beginning as we as we said you know the dsps were operating as as um as black boxes you, you know you couldn't see what was going on inside them you didn't know what 
um, necessarily um, what was happening from the financial side. I mean, you mentioned pricing, so there's an element around price transparency, but also you don't know um, enough about the, uh, the sort of thinking, you know, the algorithm, those decisions that are being made on your behalf. So there's a, a big push towards, uh, towards transparency. And I think that's something that um, a lot of the um, more legacy DSPs have, have found harder just simply because of the way they're, they're architected. I think there's um, a real point of difference around um, brands wanting more control. Most brands who are buying programmatically at scale now have some level of data science team and they want to be able to open up that box <laughs> and adjust the levers for themselves based on their own knowledge. And I think as, as we come into a, um, a, a, you know, a, a world where identity is much more challenging, a number of those brands will have the, their own first party data, which will allow them to adjust those levers much, much more, um, you know, more adeptly than, you know, than a closed system uh, might be able to do. So I think there's a, there's a piece around um, much, much more control. And then I think there's an element around wanting more, um, more flexibility. And so being able to, um, to adapt and be ready for the, the new environments. If you do decide you want to start to, and add a new channel, being able to do that, um, giving your team the, the, the tools that allow them just to, um, to, to flick a switch, um, access different inventory types and start to work across uh, across more um, you know, more uh, more innovative areas and so I think um, really looking at those those three things um, in, in you know at a, as a sort of strategic level I think you're right pricing does come into it and I think um, at BSAX we've had a, a very um, unique pricing model um, that provides um, again helps with transparency where we're working much more on a fixed fee basis more than a, uh, a percentage of, of media model. And then the final thing that, that people sort of sometimes forget, but I know we've talked about in the past, um, but is that it's still people operating these things and things still go wrong. And so I think there's a, there is a core piece around, um, around service, around customer support, um, around you know how is the day-to-day -day, how are you going to be supported in the in the day-to-day -day, particularly um for brands who are taking a more in-house approach or a or a hybrid in-house approach then knowing that they've got a team that, that they can call on alongside their their agency perhaps to offer them support is 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 really crucial i think people sometimes overlook the that that human element to to the decision and that that goes not just for the sort of, you know, the commercial team, you know, and the account management team that you're speaking to, but also in, in terms of the, just to, to come back to the beginning, but in terms of the product and innovation, you know, are the people who are actually driving and making the decisions about what the platform can do now and will be able to do in the future, do their aims align with, you know, with your wider business goals? I think um, there's some definitely some sort of interesting human points to think about as well as the you know the purely technical um, can it you know can it do x can it do y but those uh, quite often when we get rfp'd you know it's a 
it's a huge Excel sheet that we're spreading, that we're, that we're, you know, spreadsheet that we're filling in. It's, um, it's, it's very hard to, I think, assess for that, um, that level of, of support and, and human contact. Yeah, I mean, just nodding my head throughout because totally agree on the talent point. It's hard to quantify, you know, who's good versus who's not so good in, you know, in those kind of roles, but super important to include those in the processes. And then also, I think, you know, the flexibility points interesting with DSP because it comes up a lot with clients in particular where they will say, why is programmatic so difficult or really complex? And I, my answer is always, well, it's not if you don't want it to be. You could log into a DSP tomorrow, target supply source, upload some banners, and away you go. However, if you want to create differentiation in your and competitive advantage with your campaigns, having the controls and flexibility with the tech can give you a massive advantage over how you're buying ads versus how a competitor is. And I sometimes think that's just can get a bit lost on some decision makers because they compare it to YouTube, Facebook, AdWords, and they don't see how do you differentiate your media buyers by partnering with a DSP in different ways. No, it's a really good point. And I think so much of, of what we've built up as an industry has, you know, it, it is advanced, it is complex, and you can, you know, spend a, a career and still not know all elements of it and still have bits that you, you can learn about and, and discover more about. I think um, what's interesting, though, is, is you're exactly right. And it's, it's, it can be quite daunting looking at the 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 whole picture from from the outs you know from the outside as, as someone who's new coming into this space or hasn't done it themselves before and so it's quite interesting to hear that you know that that you might you know be working with brands helping them to to simplify that step I mean when you're when you're building a plan for um, you know someone to take on this sort of thing are you looking is this a sort of is this something that you're advising people, you know, you can go from zero to a hundred miles an hour in, you know, six months, nine months, a year, two years, five years, like what sort of planning time? Sorry to, to turn the table. No, I'm really it, intrigued. No. It's um, my consultant answer. is always, well, it depends. Um, <laughs> and it, there's a lot of variables that dictate how advanced an advertiser can get from where they are today. Um, the talent they have, the, access to data I mean how much they're spending does it make it worthwhile to do some of these more complex use cases um maybe there's actually some bigger issues in the business around you know measurement or KPIs there's kind of a bunch of stuff but usually you know what we find with our clients is you have a champion internally and when you have that champion internally who can drive change and wants to be leading in their in their sector in their field it gets stuff done you know, we're there really just to support their ambition and deliver it tangibly. Where you have a business who isn't really buying into it and maybe are doing it because they want transparency or they want to drive down fees or whatever, it's very different from a conversation you have where there's a marketer who will champion change. Um, I think that's probably the biggest variable. Um, so, yeah, who, which dictates how quickly you can get it done. Um so yeah, it's a very, the conversations we have, the starting point of the conversation is always different and always interesting because it comes from different places. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think that when, That's what, what makes what, it interesting, right? Yeah, what, what, once the ambition's there, it's really exciting to be involved in those processes. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's a good place to be um, when that can happen. Um, and actually, that moves quite nicely into to kind of, my next question. Really, is um, from the customers that you've worked with or you've seen in the, in the industry, what are some of the more interesting things you've seen them do with DSPs? Well, I'm I'm somewhat biased, right? I work at one, <laughs> so uh, um, and you know I'm I'm lucky enough to work at a DSP that's that, that's particularly innovative, and um, and so I think for for me the biggest change in the last um, couple of years has really been the move towards much more custom optimization and, and custom algorithms. I think when you know. When, as we were talking about, you know, 10 years ago, you'd log into a platform and you'd see, you know, a, a CPM algorithm and a CPC algorithm, and that was about your lot. <laughs> you know? um, CPA algorithms came in, you know, down the, down the line for, for some platforms. Um, but I think the, the, the really interesting thing when you're actually talking to marketers, as, uh, as you'll know, is that, you know, the click-through rate is never the end goal of their campaign. So CPC algorithm or CTR algorithm isn't going to help you one bit to, to you know, to, to, to achieve your, your marketing objectives. And so I think the thing that gets me most excited is the, the custom algorithm work that I see our customers doing. Most of our customers are quite um, sensitive. Um, and so I won't share names uh, here with you today. Um, but I think some a couple of examples that have really got me excited. Um, it, uh, one was in the CPG for American listeners or FMCG space for the rest of the world. Um, but looking at offline sales in, um, in retailers and um, being able to feed that back in and, and looking then also at, at what are the online indicators that an offline sale would take place. And so building out their own algorithm to optimize their media spend to cost per offline sale. That's something if you told me 10 years ago that would be possible, it would have blown my mind. <laughs> um, but it's, it's easily, uh, you know, it's easily achievable now if you can get that, that real flow of data. You know, um, I think we get so excited and, and it's, if you're a, you know, with e-commerce, it's much, much easier because you can get that signal online. But when you are actually selling products in a bricks and mortar store, then actually that's, um, that ability to optimize to those offline sales is absolutely crucial. That's the number you care about. That's why you have a marketing budget to, <laughs> to promote that stuff. And so I think um, that's probably the, the, the most exciting um, thing that I've seen. And, um, and seeing it work well. Um, it, and that's, um, that's something that I think is, um, we should be seeing much, um, much more of I, I hope to, to see much more of that team of course. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I was you know, super skeptical of custom algorithms, you know, not even that long ago, a few years ago, because I used to run teams of traders and I was like, there's no way this algorithm will have the real world context or, uh, previous campaign benchmarks, et cetera, to outperform my high-performing team of traders. But you start to see the, the high-performing team, team of traders can take some campaigns to a certain point, and they're too limited by manual tasks. Whereas if you remove that and let a custom algorithm, as you say, take flows of data, look at the synergies and causation between it, 
It can make better buying decisions. I don't think it's right in every campaign, but I, I totally agree that we're only going to see more customer algorithm work. And that's actually where the brands can differentiate because they can create something which is specific to their um, media and business goals compared to their, I guess, competitors, really. Yeah, exactly. And it actually allows, you know, it allows you, if you've done the the effort and you're investing in your your own first party data, and if you're investing in that feed, that data loop um, to feedback that data, you can get better performance than your competitors. If you're just reliant on the platform's algorithms and then a human element, there's no reason why your competitor can't be doing exactly as well as as you are. And so it's, it's just another area of, of of amazing differentiation. I think as as more and more brands are staffing up their data science capabilities and, and realizing that it's not that hard to do something that 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 works in that way. Um, it's it's something that I think more pe- more and more people will continue to to move towards. Yeah, and I, you know, I want to, we've we've touched on this a bit through the conversation around brands taking control of DSPs, and as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, contracting with DSP was mainly at the disposal of agency trading desks and agencies. And now we're definitely seeing brands contracting directly, taking more control, um, as we've spoken about. Um, Do you think that will last? Do you see this being a trend that continues? More marketers will just contract directly with these platforms? Or do you think it either plateaus or it's a fad? Oh, um, I, I think at some point it will plateau, right? Because there's a, there's a size and a scale where it doesn't make sense for a, you know, for a, a brand to go through that, um, you know, the, the procurement workflow and, and process to, to put, you know, to put their own contracts in place. And also where it doesn't really yield any advantage. Um, but I think, um, you know, you see lots of different entities contracting with, with DSPs, you know, not only brands, their agencies and their agency trading desks, but also broader media companies, um, you know, whether that's a sort of um, the ad network sort of side of the, of the world or, or even sort of publishers themselves. So using the idea of effectively using a DSP to replace the publisher with the brains of a publisher ad server is entirely plausible. I think in terms of brands, your brands taking more control. You, you're right that it's it, it's it's been a, a trend, and I I don't see I don't see why it would why it would stop. I mean, agencies provide a, a hugely valuable um, valuable service, and having the contract, you know. Whoever owns the contract doesn't change the technology that you get access to, um, but what it does do is, you know, coming back to those kind of um, uh, sort of pillars that we're seeing people look for, it does give you access to um, much more transparency. It, it lets you know what's going on. You know, most brands when they do take a, a contract will get a login to the platform, and they may not use it regularly, but just that that thought that they could. Um, is something that that can be can be quite helpful but I think um, you know I think that while agencies continue to provide value to their customers um, there'll still be a you know a a huge source of of support and you know an added value 
I don't know that their value comes particularly from you know just holding the contract. I think the the, the value is is much uh, much greater than that. Yeah, agree with all entirely with all of that, and I think we'll see more brands leaning into these contracts, but still working with their agencies just through different ways, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not easy as well, right? It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, it is paperwork. It's, you know, it, it's asking questions around, you know, lots of different things, currencies, um, invoices, all of those, you know, all of those things that, that do add, add to the procurement team's sort of, plate so so there's some level of effort required there but you know but I don't think it's um I don't think it's going to go away cool and I guess you know my final question and it's a slightly existential one what's the future of DSPs what do they do if we look five years from now what's changed um I think, I mean, I think looking, we started this looking back for the last 10 years and we think about how much has changed in 10 years. I'm going to be so far off with this like five year <laughs> forecast. So do not like, do not play this to me in five years time. But um, I think, um, you know, we've already seen sort of programmatic eat the world, right? If, you, if you're buying something and it's available digitally, you can buy it programmatically now. I think more of that, there's still space to, to grow in, um, a lot of different um, media channels there. So I think that's probably the, the first thing. I think I'm generally a, a big better on the world getting smarter and um, people wanting to have more control. Um, and that is, um, that's interesting, you know, we've talked a lot about custom algos, but I think, you know, it, it's, it's control, it is that ability to decide and, and owning that decision-making mechanism i think there's a piece also around more more data so um at beeswax we really believe that you know our customers if they hadn't chosen to work with us might have gone out and actually built their own dsp if they were doing that they would get access to so much more data than you get from a regular legacy dsp and so we we provide a lot more data and so i think then that you know, the other big trend across DSPs is, is just that brands are hungry for data at the moment. And I think, um, uh, you know, it can be a real fight um, for a brand to access the, the data that they need to make, um, make their, you know, business decisions moving forward. Not just media decisions, but actual business decisions. And so um, I think that's probably going to be the, 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 the biggest change I'd like to, to forecast more access to the brand's data because it's 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 the brand's data it's the buyer's data that's amazing thank you so much katie for coming on the ipod really appreciate it really enjoyed the discussion we could go on for ages on this topic it's both dear to both of our hearts and hopefully we can in person sometime soon um but thank you again for coming on i really appreciate it thanks for having me i've really enjoyed it well, that's it for episode four of the Apod. I hope you enjoyed it. Katie and I got through a ton of information and that's what tends to happen when I chat to Katie because she's a very interesting and knowledgeable person on the industry and always fun to chat to. So that leads me to say, please like, subscribe, comment, provide feedback via LinkedIn. Would love to know your thoughts. 
But until next time, stay safe and I'll see you soon. 